Hello and welcome to the words we use. Have you ever struggled with finding the right words to give meaning, depth, and clarity to your message? We have, and that's exactly what we're going to examine. Come along with us as we expand our communication knowledge. PWWU team, please introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Pat. Hi, I'm Sue. Hi, I'm Sarah. Hi, I'm Carissa. Hi, I'm Bill. Hi, I'm Lisa. Hi, I'm Gary. And, and we, we are, are the Words to welcome you to the words we use. I'm Lisa and excited to be facilitating our fantastic conversation this afternoon. We have seven amazing panelists that comprise our podcast team. Take a moment to introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Sarah. Hi, I'm Gary. Hi, I'm Pat. Hi, I'm Bill. Hi, I'm Sue. Oh, hi, I'm Carissa. And I'm Lisa, your facilitator for the day. We're glad you joined us today. Sit back in a comfy chair to cozy up with your favorite cup of joe. Japanese green tea or perhaps kabuchas will wet your whistle. The important thing is you came. You're curious and the words we use in our conversations do matter. The focus of our conversation this afternoon will be a patchwork of insights and input from our podcast entitled Champion the Power of Your Voice Within. It is my hope and end goal we thread all our observations together, giving you greater vocal courage to gather and roar like lions, even when you may feel like a mouse. I would like to acknowledge two great resources that facilitated my curiosity around this topic. The first book I read, The Solution, Conquer Your Fear, Control Your Future, was written by Lucinda Bassett. She is president of the Midwest Center for Stress and Anxiety and is also a prominent motivational speaker. She's appeared on hundreds of national radio and television programs. The second page turner I read and referenced was Everyday Greatness, authored by Stephen R. Covey. He has been recognized as one of Time Magazine's 25 most influential Americans. He also wrote the acclaimed novel, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Carissa. Think about how you came into existence through such a small opening that magically expanded and contracted, pushing life and limbs into the world. The doctor then spanked with surgical glove onto your cold, slippery bottoms to resuscitate our first primal cry. From the vocal cords within, that cry was sprung and became the indigenous sacred ground where your voice came to life. Bill, would you read After the Cries? After the Cries came the cute, cooing, sweet sounds and babbling brooks. Parents held us with bated breath, waiting for the enunciation of our first words. As babies are, and toddlers, even though we had limited vocabulary, the power of our voice was rewarded frequently with positivity by the adults around us. The more they clapped, the louder we cooed. It was reassuring and affirming to know our voice mattered. We continued to expound on our chatter until we were making semi-coherent sentences. We get pushed out of our parental coddling nest and must learn to speak on our own. We need to communicate to other people around us our wants, needs, and messages. The effervescence of our words does not babble over easily for our shy souls with quiet voices, much like me. Thank you. We discover kindergarten can be a horrific hurdle as the teacher encourages her flock of baby birds to squawk with bravado instead of soft little peeps. The quiet souls muddle through elementary and high school, disguising themselves as slinkies, crouched down in their chair in the back of the classroom, terrified of being called upon. Today, we want to challenge each of you to be called upon. Raise your hand, stand up and fill that empty chair at the front of the room. You have something meaningful to share, and we want to hear it. We're going to explore some key points in real life situations that we hope will nudge you to champion the power of your voice within. Even if you are a quiet soul, we will touch upon four common subjects. We will have six talking points, and our podcast panelists 
will share their insight on those six talking points. Our subjects today will be centered around general shyness, the dating scene, dressed for a party, and work environment. We will start out with our Q&A. Sarah, take it away. On point one under subject general. When meeting people for the first time, remember they don't know you are shy. It might seem obvious, but casting that expectation aside can feel so freeing. Do you have any thoughts on that, Sarah? I grew up extremely shy, um, where I was afraid to even talk to people. So it took a lot of practice for me to be able to toss aside the shyness and just talk to people. But it's like any other muscle. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. And now it's fairly natural for me to just go and talk to people. So even if you feel that you're hindered by shyness now, it doesn't always have to be that way. You can learn how to come out of your shell. You can learn how to stand up and speak. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. Gary. Could you read point number two under the general shyness? Remember that no one is likely to judge you as harshly as you judge yourself. And a lot of folks have the same concerns as you do. This is an interesting topic because I just happened to mention this to Lisa, that in our Toastmasters groups, we've had to take, have our meetings on Zoom. So we get to record the whole meeting and then separate out the speeches and the evaluations. And I've really come to appreciate the evaluations because after watching myself on Zoom doing a speech, there's nothing, as far as I'm concerned, that I did right. So now when I get to listen to the evaluations, people are actually saying nice things about me. So it's reassuring. <laughs> you finally have some place where you get some validation, I guess, lack of a better word. Because I found that I talk too slow. I have trouble finding the right words to say. Big gaps in an ordinary sentence, just like there was right there. Thank God there's software out there that can eliminate some of those big gaps. Yeah. But at least other people are able to find some value in what you're saying. Exactly. And it's good to know that other folks are probably swimming in the same boat that you are and you have camaraderie. And Pat, could you speak to point number three and read it? Sure. Give yourself a theme song and play it before you enter into a social situation that's making you nervous. It will give you a boost and it can be fun. My theme song is whatever Lola wants, Lola gets. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, I hear, I hear Della Reese singing, you know. <laughs> you should be dancing, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of another song as well. I mean, it, it, I, you, I need a song that gives me confidence. Uh, that certainly would give me probably too much confidence. I also try to think of a song that would make me mellow. So I'll have to think about that. But um, mm -hmm. it would have to make me mellow and give me the inner strength to, to not be cautious. Or if, when I go into a new situation, it's usually where there's a bunch of people. And inadvertently, I see how they're dressed. And how they're dressed impacts me or the how the layout of the house or whatever it's like i get intimidated and then i have a hard time finding the right words to say and you want to mm -hmm. sound like you have some intelligence or some personality too yes so that's a that's the hard part i think that's a great idea to think of a theme song so i'll work on that <laughs> come up okay. with a better song I know some people come up with a buzzword too, or they call it like their power word, you know, before they get ready to present something, they have like a power word, whatever it is, you know, to kind of pump yourself up like your Rocky drinking the raw egg smoothie or something. 
Sure. <laughs> Bill, could you address point number four? Yeah, I can. Sometimes you are going to blush. Sometimes your voice is going to crack. You may use the wrong words out of nerves and people will forget about it two minutes later, I promise. Well, yeah, that's basically true. They will forget about it two minutes later because they're moving on to something else. But what it reminded me of, and it may be a little off the specific topic, I remember an incident when I was in the second grade. And you might find this hard to believe, but at one time I was a really extroverted kid. And, for an, a, a, and after this incident, I became very introverted. And it's only recently in the last few years that I'm bursting out of that bubble. What happened was we were in class and we we're about to go to recess and some kid had stepped on my foot and I yelled, ow, as loud as I could. And the teacher, Miss James said, there's Bill Metry, he's always making a loud noise. You miss out on recess, stay in the classroom. I've lost my 10 minutes out or 15 minutes outside. And after that, I was very introverted. I didn't make any loud noises. I was very quiet, never made a disturbance, things like that, because I didn't want to miss out on recess. So that, that reinforcement of, I guess, being an introvert, it worked. So my, I think the point I'm trying to make is don't let Miss James get in your way. <laughs> if your voice is going to crack, it's not going to crack. They will forget about it two minutes later. Don't worry about it. Go out and have recess. You'll have a good time. <laughs> Does anyone have a Miss James that c pops into their mind? Somebody that kind of snipped your or stole your thunder? Yes, uh, my brother, in fact, not myself, but my brother had a first grade teacher who probably should not have been teaching first grade. And the kids in the school, the kids in her classroom, if they misbehaved, they had to get under their desk and put their nose on the ground on the floor. So my brother did tell my mom about it and that finally got the attention of the principal and some things were done, but it is, it's hard. And I've been a teacher myself and so I am very careful about what I say to both adults and children. But when a, a person of authority says something or does something, it can be very intimidating and make you not want to make a peep. Exactly. Interesting. Sue, would you like to speak to point five? Why, certainly. When you're shy, you should try to think of yourself as your own PR person, making the proper introductions and presenting you in your best light. Well, you had mentioned a book by Linda Bassett, and she has several very positive ideas about how to present yourself. One of the things um, she had talked about was thinking positive, thinking that who is the safe person to be around, yourself should be the safe person to be around, and yourself is also the safe place. And you can tell yourself, I can take care of myself to help you feel more confident in yourself the strength of your commitment to talk to others, to make a gain, and your belief will help you to create that end result that you want. So being a proactive thinker and um, being in control of your experience is something that is difficult, but practicing that will certainly help you put your best foot forward. And Another thought on my part was doing little things each day to help you get to that point of being feeling that you can talk to other people and be confident. Back to you, Lisa. Great response. I think that's true. Sometimes we have to be our own PR person because if we don't step up and kind of self-promote ourselves, someone else might not do that necessarily, especially in work environments. That's been my experience. Carissa, would you like to speak to point six? Yes. And of course, it's possible to genuinely like people and be shy and don't let people tell you any different, which is very true. And for me as a shy child and then an introverted adult, that is something 
that I've kind of dealt with growing up of, because there's this wave of saying that introverts are, should be more extroverted and vice versa, or you have people that try to kind of quote unquote fix you or say, oh, just get over it. You're fine. Thinking that that's going to magically change the way you view life and the way you are as a person. And it is true. I mean, shy and introverted people, because those are tend to be two different things, can like people. They just show it differently. And I think giving them the space to get to know you as a person, I feel is always fair to give to other people around you. I don't know if anyone else has had that happen to them. Anyone had that experience? I think it's easy to pigeonhole people when you define what you think they are. If you're mm -hmm. quiet or shy, if you're very outgoing or gregarious, I think sometimes we have opinions or observations before we even maybe meet the person or know the person. Mm -hmm. Moving forward, I've been off the fish hook, so to speak, for eight years. I am single and I have not dipped my toe back into the dating pool, but Let's just say for the sake of the podcast that we were in dating mode and you happen to be a quiet soul. How do you think that would navigate into the dating scene? Sarah, could you speak to point number one? Sure. For a first date, it often helps to do an activity-based event like bowling, museums, trivia night, and a club rather than sit down dinner. You can still get to know one another while keeping awkward pauses to a minimum. I like the idea of having an activity. I'm a person who's always been very athletic or a lot of times I talk with my body, I feel more comfortable when I'm moving. So if I could go bowling, I wouldn't have to think every second about what am I gonna say to this guy? It could just, I could relax sometimes. So I'm thinking of an activity, maybe bowling or frisbee golf or whatever it is. It's just something that you both enjoy then you can learn about each other and not be so stressed. I think that's true, because I think there is that, that energy and that dynamic. When you think of if you're going into a situation just where you're meeting, whether it's a new coworker or a new neighbor or a stranger, and then you think if you're doing that in a dating situation, I think there's more pressure put on ourselves. And I think to be sitting across the table from somebody could be a little bit intimidating. Gary, would you speak to point number two? You know, you expect if you're going to go meet somebody, you're going to want to have things that well, you want to know, things you want to talk about, but don't feel as if you need to have topics ready to talk about going into a social situation. Because chances are, this is only going to make you nervous about remembering. That in itself might, trying to remember topics might create these awkward pauses that you're trying to avoid. Trying to be specific about what you want to talk about instead of just letting the conversation flow naturally. Mm-hmm. You're trying to get to know the person, and if the conversation is scripted, that's not who you're going to get to know. Exactly. What do you think holds us back from just being spontaneous and natural in our conversations in general? Why do we feel lack that we have to... Lack of confidence in yourself. That could be. Probably want to make sure you're saying the right thing, whatever that might be. Yes. I think people are uncomfortable with the pauses also. That's true. Any other thoughts? Pat, would you like to speak to point number three? Sure. Pay attention to what people are saying. Active, genuine listening matters. Don't be thinking about what you are going to say just for the sake of talking. I've found that I am a good listener, and I'm sometimes too good of a listener, so I don't reveal a lot about myself. I can go through a whole list, evening of listening, and the person doesn't know much about me. So that's something I have to work on. And also paying attention to what people are saying, you get a better sense of what they're about, if you have common interests with them, common values. So active listening really matters. And it, it is better not to think about what you're going to say ahead of time, just like Gary had mentioned, or just for the sake of talking. Mm -hmm. That way you can be more natural and spontaneous. And that's what probably people are looking for in, in any kind of a relationship to be natural and, and honest. Exactly. 
And how do you think we know or connect when we're with somebody and we can tell that they're really listening? Because sometimes you have conversations with people and you wonder, are they hearing what I'm saying? Or are they going through their shopping list or writing out their to-do list? So how do you think we know that they're being sincere and really listening? You can tell in their facial reaction and if their smile, their eyes, that's how we can tell if people are reacting to us and, and in what manner their body language, if they're, if they're sitting there rigid like this or if they're, if they're relaxed. But mainly it's in their facial expression. And I always look at people's eyes. You can tell a lot. The eyes are the entrance to the soul of a person. And you can tell a lot about that. Yeah. That's about Yo, it. Would you like to speak to point number four? Yep, I can do that. <clears throat> Don't feel the need to be someone you're not. You and your voice are pretty great just as you are. Yeah, I found that to be pretty true. Uh, I can't remember far as far, I can't remember that far back to when I was dating and not married. It's been it's been a long time. Fortunately, the dates with my my spouse occurred after I'd known her for a number of years, six or seven years, and so our first dates, yeah, they they may have been a bit awkward, but they were a lot more relaxed for us, at least for me because we had known each other for so long and become and had become good friends. So when we decided to date, really the stress of that first date wasn't there. It was, it was fun. It was a new adventure. Actually, the stress, if we felt any stress at all, was because we had such a good friendship, we didn't want to ruin it by starting to date. So being who you are, I can't emphasize that enough. Just be who you are. Don't try to make anything up because and like in my case, she knew all about me is because of the years we'd, we'd been friends. You know, she knew I'd been on the racetrack. She knew I'd worked as an accountant. She, you know, knew all kinds of stuff about me. So I didn't have to make up anything and try to be somebody I wasn't. Mm -hmm. In fact, if I do that, she calls me on it. So, <laughs> so I can't. Speaking about voice, though, I know when people are nervous, their voice goes up an octave a little bit. Or they stutter or, or something else, some other vocal abnormality, for want of a better word, sometimes happens. And I've always found that if you simply take a breath, relax, a pause, and then say what you want to say, always works wonders. Just kind of calms you down and... Yeah, yeah, just center yourself and then move forward. Exactly. What do you think about some of the, and I haven't been on these, but there's a lot of active online dating sites and people go on and they puff up their profile and they don't have that face-to-face -face meeting until later on down the road, and then all of a sudden they meet and they find out that, oh my gosh, you know, you're not six foot seven and a billionaire, you're, you know, five foot two and you're Joe Schmo. Not that that's a bad thing, but- hey, wait a minute. What do you think, um, should I say inspires or gets the wheels turning for people to do that? Why can't they just say, this is who I am, these are my cracks, these are my flaws, but we feel so compelled to create this sort of vision of this is who I want them to see, the Barbie and Ken. Are you talking to me or someone else? Well, you or anyone. Yeah, Bill. Well, yeah, I'll say something about that. If you have to maintain that lie for a long time, it's going to get awfully tiring for both of you. So no, I, would, I ain't going to do that. No, it's hard to keep up that uh, false impression for very long. And if you do that, maybe you're dating the wrong person. Exactly. Find somebody else, maybe. Yes. Any other comments on kind of attitude comes with wisdom or comes with age? Common sense, maybe. Yes. Well, also if you have to pretend to be somebody else, you're dating the wrong person because they think they are dating somebody else than who you really are. And when they find out the truth, they're going to be hurt and it's not going to turn out well. Yeah. And before I met my partner, I went on a lot, a uh, couple of dates on, from online online dating and it seems like the people that fluff up their profile the reason why they do that is in order to get someone that they want like a particular type of person like oh this person probably would like it if i had pictures of me mountain climbing or something like that and in reality that might have been just one time five years ago and they never did it again and they could say yeah i'd love to travel see all these pictures like mm. Not really. So I think that's why some people do that is so they can get the person that they think that they want. Yeah. And unfortunately, the person that they get may 
or may not stay because of the lie, depending on how big of a lie it is. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we have to be true to our own truth and light in our conversations. Sue, could you speak to point number five? Sure. Well, we want you to know that it is okay to be nervous on a date, and it's okay to admit it, because chances are your date is pretty nervous as well. And that I do recall from my early dating years, that sometimes it's hard to make conversation with somebody you've just met, and they're not very talkative either. So talking about being nervous, I think it would be okay, because then you would have something to talk about. But then, of course, you want to move on from there about finding out about what their interests are, etc. But I think it's okay to feel nervous because anything new can make you feel nervous. So why wouldn't a first date be nervous? Back to you. Great response. Carissa, could you speak to point number six? Of course. Being good at dates, quote unquote, good at dates. Well, it does take a lot of practice and I wouldn't say take a lot of practice as in dating a lot of other people. I think dating yourself first is the most important thing because if you're not comfortable doing the things that you want to do with someone else, then I don't feel it would be right of you to ex expect that from another person. It's kind of like if you make a list of your ideal partner and you look at that list and say, do I have any of these characteristics? And if you don't, then you take the opportunity of saying, well, maybe I should try to do those things or become, have some of those things or maybe be a little more realistic instead of saying, oh, I want to date someone that knows 10 different languages when you barely, or like for myself, I know English, American English, and that's, you know, that's kind of hit or miss sometimes. And just kind of that expectation of, well, maybe just someone that I could talk to would be great. And if you go on dates with yourself, then it's okay if you, maybe you won't have as many awkward moments because you're okay with just going out and having a drink and there happens to be someone there with you. Back to That's you. That's a good response. Any other feedback? I love your comment about dating yourself. I love that. I think I'm just going to date myself until I'm 95 and shriveled up like a prune. <laughs> I pass all the, the idiosyncrasies. Right. You, you'll have great conversations. That's right. <laughs> yes. For sure. People will stay away from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we can all be so lucky to be here at 95. Right. Moving forward, we've all been in social situations and we've all been invited to entertainment events and parties. But if you can only imagine dressing up and going to a party and being an outgoing person and vivacious and quite a conversationalist, but if you're a quiet soul and you get invited to events and you're asked to go, oh my gosh, that can just be a whole nother game changer, just depending on the dynamics of your personality. So let's explore a few things that perhaps might facilitate or assist a quiet soul if they were in a dressed for a party situation. Sarah, could you speak to point number one? Sure. It says, uh, when you enter a social space, scan the room of the, for the host or somebody you know. Greet that person first and ease into the process of saying hello to others in the room. It's just polite to greet the hostess first as you arrive. Let them know you've arrived. I generally, because I was so horrible at parties when I was young, I used to get sick almost every time I went to a party. That's how bad I was. I like to look around now and see who's uncomfortable and try to ease them, go over, talk to them. If, they're, if they look like they've been like standing against the wall all night and try to pull them out a little bit because they, uh, they obviously came to the party for a reason. They want to be there. They want to be social. They just might not know how. Mm -hmm. They used to call them the wallflowers when I was growing up. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be a wallflower. <laughs> Jingle and jingle. Yeah. Gary, would you like to speak to point number two? When I go to parties, I get real nervous. Even my friends, because they invite friends that I don't know. So I found that it helps to have something in your hands when you talk to them. Maybe like a, a cup, a small plate, or a can of soda. Because as you mingle, you're less likely 
to focus on trying to remember whatever it is humans are supposed to do with their hands when they talk. The hands kind of get in the way because you're not real sure what to do with them. In the can of soda, a cup is a, a kind of a security blanket. And if you get real nervous, you can crush the heck out of that soda can <laughs> and maybe get your frustrations out of the way. And then who knows, that might even strike up a conversation. But when I bring, when I go to a party, I will bring my own beverages just in case they don't have what I can drink. Because even though diet soda isn't really good for you, it's better than sweet pops. So I'll bring my diet Pepsi. And then I have these can coolers. Uh, you can't really see it right now. It's a Twins can cooler. And maybe somebody's interested in the Minnesota Twins. There you go. Start talking about that. It gives us something in common to talk about. I was a big Minnesota Twins fan. At least for two years, 87 and 91. But it's always good to have a conversation starter. I remember back in high school when I took my first speech class, the very first speech I gave, I would always put a paper clip in my pocket. And then right before I got up, I would put it in my hands. And my speech teacher must have had eyes in the back of her head because she spotted that paper clip from 10 miles away. And she ripped it out of my hand so fast. And every other speech I gave, she's like, OK, Missy, check the pockets. You know, I'd be like, oh, anyway, you know, but just having that paper clip when I rehearsed at home, it's like, oh, that was my security blanket, you know, Linus and the pacifier. It's like, I can't believe you did that. But that's a different situation. But I think in social situations, it does help to have something that kind of makes you feel secure and kind of grounded so you don't feel like you're so exposed and out there, especially if you're not an outgoing person. I haven't had a lot of success with plates of food because there's a good chance that you're going to have your mouth full of something when somebody asks you a question. Isn't that how it goes? You, you talk with your mouth full, which is impolite, or right. you have to wait till you finish chewing and swallowing, and then that creates that awkward pause that you're trying to make. Exactly. Well, what I found is something drools out of the corner <laughs> of the mouth, you know, or you drop something, or you spill. It's like, oh, it's it's... Sometimes it makes me more nervous to have something or, in my hand, especially or if somebody somebody cracks a big joke. Try to hold back. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. Pat, would you like to speak to point number three? Sure. You're not here to entertain people, so don't feel as if you need to. Well, when I come to a party, when I'm invited, I like to... I think that's true. I like to come. I like to enjoy myself. I don't feel the pressure on myself to entertain people. Uh, unless somebody's telling jokes or something or I can get more relaxed if it's a group of friends I know. But it's a lot more relaxing if you don't feel the pressure to entertain people. You're not the center of attention. And I never want to be at the center of attention. I'm very shy. I usually don't like to be I'd rather just blend in and talk to people and, and listen probably my best angle at a party. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'm on Pat's side because there's always Mrs. Jam uh, Miss James lurking about. Watch your backside, Bill. <laughs> always. Have any of us ever been in situations where we're at maybe a company event or something, and there's okay. always sometimes just one person who always has to be the life of the party. They're always like the jokester, and they're always just going, 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 and you're just you're almost dreading it because you're like, oh my gosh, you know, there's Mary Jo and she's just going to be blah, 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 blah. You know, who put a quarter in her and, you know. That's the person that doesn't get the raises. Can go from one extreme to, to being the wallflower to being the over-conversationalist. Oh, yeah. Bill, could you speak to point number four? Sure. <clears throat> Having an adult beverage may certainly ease tensions, but don't let your nerves translate into overconsumption. Sometimes when we have to eat our own words, a bitter taste, uh, aftertaste is left in our mouth. And wow, is that ever true? I was fortunate to learn at an early age not to overconsume. I was, uh, since I was on the racetrack, <clears throat> I had a, a fellow jockey once tell me that if you know if you if you're doing this profession a long time, you have to drink a lot of whiskey. <laughs> no, he said that. He really did. He, he said that. <laughs> and for a while, I was in that crowd of people who drank a lot. Well, I didn't drink whiskey, but, you know, drank a lot. And I realized, you know, this is really not the kind of life I want to live or lead. And so I made the decision one day, stop, don't, don't do it. And I don't, you rarely see me have a drink. And sometimes I will, but I, I will never say never anymore. I will never say never. I, I stopped saying never because that's generally the next thing that happens. But it's unlikely that you will ever see me overconsume alcohol. It just ain't going to happen for a very good reason, because the bitter aftertaste of eating your own words 
It is not a pleasant taste at all. And and really, you do foolish things. You yeah. you know you're not yourself. Someone told me, in fact, you probably all know this or have heard this that. Well, you know, when you're drunk, you tell the truth. Uh, when you're drunk, you don't always tell the truth. But sometimes you're a jerk. <laughs> or worse. So, yeah, having a drink may ease tensions, and drink is fine. But I think you have to impose your own limits and be very careful, especially, especially at corporate events where your job may be on the line one day. Exactly. No, people are always doing evaluations. We, we say this all the time in Toastmasters. And yeah, they're evaluating while you're drunk, standing and you know, dancing on the table with a lampshade on your head. You're getting a big evaluation right then and there. Yes. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> Content for your evaluation and your pay raise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get a lampshade working out for you. <laughs> yeah. Sue, would you like to speak to comment number five? Sure. If you find yourself outside of a circle where people are talking, don't sweat it. Laugh at their jokes, accidentally bump elbows with the person next to you, take a sip of your beverage, laugh some more, and eventually the circle will open up. Make your, make your vocal move to get your chatter on. I also agree with, um, I think it was Sarah who talked about going to a, a talk to the person who's standing alone that that would be another helpful way to um, get your chatter going and maybe somebody else will come and join in because you're laughing or you know the conversation sounds interesting however I do like that idea of you know making that circle open up to include you I have tried that when there's just two people and that gets a little awkward especially if they're talking about a personal experience but I would think a larger group of people would be easier to bump into. Um, one place I read about shy people is that they have, and I'm not a shy person, so this has been challenging for me to find, uh, to share information about shy people, um, is that they are very good at listening and observing. And so that information is very helpful for them in talking to another person because they've observed and listened to them quite a bit. It is nice to have a few questions that you bring to the party that you know that you're going to ask people all the time. Um, avoid sticking with your friends too. If you're there with some other friends and you want to meet some people, unless you're following a, a friend of yours as they go and mingle, it's important for you to take that step and talk to somebody you haven't met yet. Back to you. Great response. Carissa, would you speak to point number six? Yes. So let's see. Fake it until you make it. Walk into the room and own it like the red carpet. And use your vocal swagger to conquer fear. I think that's half true. Because I like the phrase make it until you make it instead of fake it until you make it. Because I think fake it until you make it gives the impression that you don't have it already. And I, I think everyone has what they need inside of themselves. It's just sometimes it takes a little longer to find it. And I do like the phrase, own it like the red carpet, because I, in social situations, I do actually have my own theme song that I kind of give myself before I walk to large groups. And that's I Find by Mary J. Blige, and she's awesome. And I have that kind of running in my head when I feel a little awkward or, or unsure about myself. But if I just keep saying, you know what, I'm fine. It's okay. You know, if I mess up, they'll forget about it more than likely. And if they don't, then I probably don't want them in my lives to begin with. So yeah, conquer your fear of just, you got this. You're good. Just walk in. Be yourself. Have fun, right? <laughs> Not the end of the world yet, anyways. <laughs> That's true. Oftentimes, I think we feel like we're being slid under the microscope as soon as we enter the room, and it's like all the eyeballs are going to turn and look at us, and 90% of the people might not even see us enter the room, or they may care that we're there, or they may not, but I think a lot of it's just head tripping on our part. We just kind of 
build ourselves up for that great moment of the unknown we don't know and like you said just go in and be the best version of yourself that you can be because exactly. everyone else is already taken as they say yeah <laughs> i had also seen a, a suggestion that if you are if you have difficulty with large crowds, face toward a location in the room where there's just a small group of people and that's less intimidating. And also get there early and get to know the lay of the land, talk to the bartender, order something, and then you gradually see people entering the room instead of coming into this packed room of people. That's a good thought. Yeah, take it in small chunks rather than trying to bite the whole slice of the pie especially if you're a quiet soul. That makes sense to me. Last but not least, how do quiet souls navigate in their work environment? Oftentimes when we're in work situations, we always think, oh yeah, of course that advancement or that promotion went to Mary because she's so outgoing and she always has it in with the boss. And you know, he got this, why didn't I get that? And then we have to step back and say, why did I not get it? Where was my vocal presence in that situation? And wanting it and being able to assert that when you're quiet, so I think can sometimes be two different things. What we want and what we can do and what we need to get that advancement are things that we want to mill over this afternoon and be helpful to those of you out there that might consider yourself a quiet soul. Sarah, would you speak to point number one? Yes, no one hates a hello. If you bump into somebody in the office kitchen or in the hallway, be the first to say hi. This is a great and non-threatening way to practice your vocal power. Actually, hello is how I started to learn how to speak to others. I was very isolated as a child, so I, I was good speaking with my family, but anybody outside my family felt threatening. And speaking is like a muscle. So I started with hi, and once you get comfortable with hi, then you can say hi, how are you doing? Or hi, I'm Sarah, or whatever, introduce yourself. So take it in little steps, but hi is a wonderful first step because people will generally be nice and say hi back. And if they don't, so what? You go on to the next person. Gary, could you speak to point number two? Sure. As a shy person, especially when I was younger, going into meetings at work was tough. Just pretty much sat there and listened to things. So found that when it's appropriate, I gave myself a challenge to speak out just once during a project meeting or maybe a brainstorming session. There's something I was itching to say. I try to summon the vocal courage to say it. If I felt like someone came up with a great plan, then I said so. But I also found out it was a good idea to wait for someone to bring up a problem and then offer a solution to that problem. It might not be the final solution, but it got people talking. Uh, at one point I realized for a certain manager who had this attitude, don't bring up problems, bring up solutions, that if I offered a solution, I better be prepared to take care of the problem, to put the solution into effect. Because he'd say, Gary, well, why don't you do that? But I'd have to be real careful that I thought of a, a solution that I could actually do myself that wouldn't require any help from anybody else. People I used to work with would say, you know, he doesn't say much, but when he says something, it's really good. You don't have to say a lot. It can be very strategically placed. And you get yourself a reputation after a while. And it might not even been a, in a meeting. It's just in a normal conversation. It cracked the right joke at the right time. You're not the life of the party, but you're a supporting actor. And those supporting actors make the movies, not the stars. That's true, well said. Pat, could you speak to point number three? Never underestimate the power of the silent nod with a smile. It is a shy person's weapon of choice. Perhaps still waters do run deep. Uh, I think that is very true. You don't have to necessarily always say to somebody hi, but just a silent nod is an affirmation that they're there or that you respect them or value them. I, at work, I have to be very aware of my body language because 
when I go down the hall or I'm talking to patients or staff, by the time I get back to my office, I'm trying to remember 10 or 12 things in my head. So I have a look on my face. It looks like I'm angry, but I'm not. I'm concentrating. So my manager pulled me in and she said, several of the staff think you're angry. I says, no, I'm not angry. I'm just trying to remember. So I have to be very aware too. I'm, pro I'm in a good mood. I'm just focusing and concentrating. So I'm, I'm constantly aware now of how people perceive me. So mm -hmm. that's interesting. But a silent nod is a, it's a good way to affirm people of their value in the organization too. Thank you, back to you. Thank you. Bill, could you please speak to point number four? Sure, I can do that. Yeah, I, in a work environment, uh, when I meet someone in a hallway, they know I'm from New York. And so it's un not uncommon for me to say, get out of my way. You know, it works, uh, it works <laughs> just fine. <laughs> point number four, the more, if you are more comfortable writing than talking, send someone an email an email. If you like their idea or want to work with them on a project, just be sure not to use work emails as a crutch to avoid stretching your vocal pro, uh, vocal chops. That is, I think that's interesting advice. When I was working full-time uh, selling retirement plans, I was always a consultant for the plans that I had sold. And so when problems developed, I would be the first one they would call to say, look, we have some something going on, we need to fix this. I would be the first one to have to respond. And my first response was always, I always tried to make, yes, we can fix this, and then try to figure out how. When working on a project, I guess writing an email for me, it puts it in writing so that you have a document from which you can, that, that, that you can use to flesh out an idea. But I really would rather talk with someone about it and get their input because I know that I'm not the expert in everything. And so I would want their input to help me determine, well, what is the best solution for this, this issue or this problem? Yeah, emails are okay, but they're too impersonal sometimes. And I like to inject a personality so that when <clears throat> they think of a problem, they'll think of a face that can solve that problem. And I want that face to be mine or my company's face. And many times in, in the instances when I was the consultant for the plan, I was that face. And I'd want them to think of me before anything else in figuring out a solution. So emails are okay. I think it's really important though for a business continuity with that particular client that you, you inject your personality into it and, and your face. So yeah, words are, I think vocal, spoken words are more important than written words in that case. Yes, I think so. And before the COVID issue, they would say, press the flesh. We don't do that now, but you know, person-to-person no. -person contact and having, seeing your face and hearing your vocal contributions is always more powerful. Sue, could you please speak to point number five? I would be glad to. And I will do a brief description of the, well, this is use the be your own PR person advice when you're nervous about interviews. It helps squash the shyness and nerves if you think of yourself as acting as your own advocate. And I totally agree with that. There are many, many suggestions for people who are shy to use during an interview. These are the ones I liked. The first 60 minutes and the last 60 minutes are where you can use your nonverbals to really make an impression. The first 60 seconds, they see you walk into the room with your shoulders back or slouched. They see that you're appropriately dressed or not. Um, you can make, you should be making eye contact with at least one person in the room. And when you sit down, again, have your shoulders back and lean forward like you're interested in what's happening. And a smile on your face means that you're happy to be there. So those are some things as the first 60 seconds. The last 60 seconds is when you tell them with a smile on your face that you're looking forward to the next step. Thank them for something specific 
or talk about them or thank them for something specific that was in the conversation so that they know that you were a good listener. Because again, that is one of your strengths. Provide a firm handshake as you walk out of the room. I thought that was a really great way to look at the first 60 seconds and the last 60 seconds of an interview. Feel free to jump in with some other suggestions for interviewing. Those are all good points. Yeah. Carissa, could you wrap us up and speak to point number six, please? Sure. Let's see. If your office sets up a happy hour or the team building event that you all have to go to because it's required happiness and required training, no matter how cheesy it is, attend at least once to try it out. But at the very least, it will help you put names to faces and ease your voice into speaking with new people. And that's very true. I think for happy hour, those mandatory fun times, I think if you show up just at least once, if I'm remembering correctly, there is uh, an actress, Mindy Cowling. She, she's an actress on The Office. Well, she was an actress on The Office. And she said that if you go to a party and I, if I go to a party and I don't like it, I just grab a couple of co cookies and just walk out. <laughs> and then that, and I take that to heart because at least you showed up and you tried and you should at least, you should take something away with you during those moments. <laughs> and, <laughs> and if anything else, I mean, if they don't have cookies, you could always bring your own and then you can share and maybe you can make friends that way. Great feedback. Just show up and sign in on the register and then sneak off, but make sure you have some cookies in your pocket. Exactly. Yeah. You know, these have all been fantastic comments and I hope you've taken some of these nuggets of knowledge and hopefully you can incorporate them in your daily walk in finding your voice. It bears repeating, people don't know you are shy unless you let them know. Keep in mind that every meeting, interview, date and party or greeting is an opportunity for you to be exactly the person you want to be. Most importantly, never ever forget you are worth getting to know, and people want to hear your voice. The important thing today is you came to listen and learn. Because like us, you are curious. The words we use in our conversations do matter, and your voice has value. The next time someone tells you, a mouse cannot roar like a lion, beg to differ, and I challenge you to prove them wrong. Champion the power of your voice within. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to the words we use. Own your voice and make your words matter. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review.